We continue our worship this morning uh, by examining God's Word. Um, We're looking at Matthew 22 this morning. The same day, Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children... His brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, having no offspring, left his wife to his brother, so to the second and the third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her as a wife. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. As for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to know the scriptures and we want to know your power. Uh, Send your spirit this morning um, to teach us and to help us know you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've ever heard this passage talked about, It was probably either talked about in the context of marriage or of how we will be related to our spouses in heaven. Uh, But this text really isn't about those questions. Those are the questions that we want to know about. Um, We are often interested in what heaven will be like. Uh, Maybe we're even desperate for some of that information. Uh, If there were a reliable source that gave us all the information on heaven, it would be a bestseller. Um, I've heard plenty of single people use this passage to say uh, that if they don't get married before they die, they'll miss out on some some of the experiences. Or people who don't want to get married uh, because they say, you know, we won't be married in heaven. It's obviously not a very important part of the human experience. Um, There are lots of good reasons to get married or to remain unmarried. Uh, Please don't use this text as one of those reasons. Because if the things that we take away from this text are about marriage, uh, we really miss out. Those may be the questions that are most interesting to us when we come to the text. But by the end of this sermon, I hope I'll be able to show you uh, that this text is much bigger and much better than that. So what's going on in this story? Well, Matthew tells us what it's about In verse 23, the Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection. All right, we come to this text and we find one question Is resurrection really possible? This was an ongoing debate uh, at the time between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? Two uh, theological camps at the time of Christ, um, and they had argued this issue to a standstill Will the dead be raised? It wasn't a settled question. Um, 
today we read texts like this and it is a settled question, so it's hard for us to come to this text and see um, the controversy. But it was a question that was being discussed during the exile and the intertestamental period. The Sadducees, uh, they took the position that there was no resurrection. And they only accepted, as scripture, uh, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, right? So um, it, it was hard for them uh, to be convinced because they would not accept any evidence um, in later scriptural books. So the Pharisees, um, trying to convince them, would use texts like Deuteronomy 32, 39, um, where God says, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, there, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. You can see why they would use a verse like that, um, but it's not really on point. Um, and so this debate continued. And the Sadducees also didn't really have a reason to believe that there would be a resurrection. See, the Sadducees were very powerful. They were the wealthy class in Israel. They were the temple leaders, uh, the priests. And it's easy to believe that there is no resurrection or to not focus on a resurrection when you're doing well in life, right? Um, Taylor Swift has a song about karma, right? And it's a little bit like that. Um, if we believe that God takes care of good people, well, I'm rich and I'm good. It all makes sense, right? It, it fits. There's no more to the story. Um, but that's, so, so the Sadducees didn't necessarily need a resurrection to feel like their theology was complete. And they had this killer argument that they bring to Jesus here. And they expected that this argument would either make Jesus look silly or it would cause him to agree with them. Because if everyone comes back to life, this woman is going to be married to seven different men. And Jesus just doesn't play ball here. He just responds um, quite strongly, right? You are wrong. You are wrong because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Let's look at those two reasons that the Sadducees got this one wrong. Um, you do not know the scriptures. Jesus doesn't rely on any of the go-to texts that the Pharisees were using, uh, nor does he rely on later prophetic writings. He goes to the Pentateuch and to the heart of the Pentateuch, where God introduces himself to Moses. Jesus makes his argument from God's very name. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At the first level, the answer to this question is that God speaks in the present tense, right? If Abraham had ceased to exist when he died, uh, which was 400 years prior, uh, the relationship couldn't be in the present tense. But I want us to go a layer deeper than that first level. See, God here identifies himself by relationship. There are plenty of descriptors uh, that God uses in scripture, um, plenty of self-descriptors even. For example, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, right? That's, that's one that pops up over and over. 
He describes himself in, in another place. I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. Right? God can describe himself in many ways. But when he makes himself known to Moses for the first time, before any of these other things, he is the God who is in relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our, theo our theological tradition, the Reformed theological tradition, is sometimes called covenant theology because uh, John Calvin and the uh, theologians after him believe that all of Scripture really um, revolves around this idea of God's relationship with his people, um, which is expressed in covenant. But how is this an argument for resurrection? Well, if the Sadducees knew the scriptures, they would have understood how much God cares about his relationship with his people. See, you and I are used to broken relationships. We have many broken relationships. We have relationships that are broken by distance. Sometimes that's physical distance. Sometimes it's emotional distance. We have relationships that are broken by misunderstanding. We have relationships broken by lack of effort or sometimes lack of capacity to maintain the relationship. We have relationships that are broken by wrongdoing and hurt. We have relationships that are broken because one one side of the relationship walks away, rejects the relationship. And we finally have relationships that are ultimately broken by death. For us, it's a normal part of life that these relationships are broken. But as Christ read scripture, he understood that God does not accept broken relationships. Look at the Exodus. Israel is enslaved by the most powerful nation in the world and by her pantheon of deities. So what does God do? He systematically defeats each of Egypt's gods in order to rescue his people. Then he opens the sea and defeats the entire army of Egypt. Right? Jesus reads this story and sees no power in heaven or on earth will stop God from rescuing his people. Or look at the book of Hosea. It's about a husband whose wife keeps being unfaithful to him and keeps leaving him. The story is absurd. It's over the top. No human spouse could put up with the kind of treatment that Hosea endures. But the point of that story is that God continues to be faithful even in the face of such absurd unfaithfulness from his people. That's what our sacred reading was about this morning, right? How can I give you up, O Ephraim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. What's God saying there? I don't want to give you up. That's what he says. God will not let his relationship with his people end even by their own choice. If the Sadducees had known the scriptures, they would have known that God will not lose his people. He will not lose his people to any earthly power or to any God. He will not even lose them to their own unfaithfulness. And he will certainly 
not lose them to death. This is why Jesus says he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. If the Sadducees knew the scriptures, they would have known that God would not settle for having a covenant with a graveyard. And then his second point, you do not know the power of God. Jesus' answer here shatters the worldview of everyone listening, both the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is why the crowds were astonished. He rebukes them both in the same, um, same argument. See, the concept that was being discussed between the Pharisees and the Sadducees was really just resuscitation, right? Bringing back to life. It was the idea that God will come, God will judge everyone, he will remove the wicked, and the righteous will get another chance, right? They'll, they'll get to kind of continue living. And the Pharisees' main audience was this poor underclass who was being oppressed um, by the wealthy, right? And if you're living in poverty and you're crushed under the heel of uh, the wicked people who have the wealth and the power, that view of resurrection sounds pretty good right? It sounds like, hey, it would be really nice to not be constantly in debt, right? To not be at the whim of these powerful people. But Jesus doesn't settle for that. He says, you don't know the power of God. This is where Jesus says, at the resurrection, people will be like angels in heaven. And some people um, have built kind of a theology of angels around this, uh, that angels must be sexless or celibate or not physical at all, and that we will be like that. Um, but again, that's not really what Jesus is saying here. Um, we are desperate to understand uh, what heaven will be like. But um, that's, that's not the point of this text, right? I don't know um, what we will be like. I don't know what angels are like. Um, but God did make us as embodied, sexed, and designed for relationships with each other. Um, and these things are pictures of our relationship with God, but I don't know that, it's, that these things will be abolished um, when we are able to also express that relationship with God. But what Jesus is saying here is that at the resurrection, everything will be completely different. Everything will change, as radically different as humans are from angels. Um, I use this example with trepidation because Scott Cameron is back there and he's an expert in this. But when babies are in the womb, um, their lungs are full of amniotic fluid, okay? Um, that's how babies are, are supposed to grow. Um, they, they breathe in and out. They exercise their lungs, but they're just breathing in and out that amniotic fluid. Um, now, imagine trying to talk to that baby. Imagine being able to talk to that baby, right? Imagine telling that baby that someday they won't have any amniotic fluid in their lungs, right? That baby just doesn't have categories for understanding what you're talking about. Uh, it, it could easily be terrified, right? It might think that maybe their lungs won't do anything after they're born or uh, that inhaling and exhaling that fluid isn't important. Now, imagine trying to explain talking to that baby or singing. We need to realize 
that we can't understand the power of God, right? We can and we should let our imaginations run wild about what heaven will be like, but don't for a second think that your wildest dreams are anywhere close. Just like that baby in its mother's womb can't understand what it will be like to sing, we can't understand what it will be like to live in God's new creation. We will look back on things like marriage like we look back on breathing amniotic fluid. It was a life-giving and good part of God's good creation. But we're not going to be thinking, I wish I could breathe amniotic fluid one more time. We, we experience joy in marriage now, but far more delight awaits us when we embrace our God. We experience security and commitment, but it's nothing compared to the bonds we'll have as we rest in God's presence. Intimacy, care, kindness, they're shadows of what's to come when there is no longer a veil between us and God. These good things won't be traded in for a marginally better thing, like selling an old house and moving into a new one. They'll evolve into new and indescribably better things, like how baking flour turns into a birthday cake. No one has ever sat at the birthday table and been disappointed that the flour was gone. And all the struggles and the pain and the sin that infect our marriages or keep marriage from being a possibility for us, nothing will go unnoticed or unredeemed. Revelation talks about God personally wiping away each of our tears. He will affirm every one of the efforts you made that were foiled by the brokenness of the world. He will heal each wound and thank you for each thing you endured to be faithful to him. That's the end of our text, right? Jesus decisively settles the question of resurrection. It's not only possible, but it's assured, and it is incredible. But this text is about resurrection, but resurrection in turn is about God's power and his relationship with us. And that's why I don't think we can end there. Because that's not the end of Matthew. There are six more chapters in Matthew, and we are still in Eastertide. And the message of Easter is not that resurrection is possible. It's not even that resurrection is assured. The message of Easter is that God can't wait. Resurrection has already started. See, Jesus knew the scriptures, and he knew the power of God. He knew that God was not going to settle for broken relationships. And he knew that God's power was so great that a kernel of wheat would fall to the earth and die, and then it would produce enormous fruit. And Jesus knew that God's plan was already unfolding in his own life. Easter is a promise of what's to come, but it is also the first jet of water shooting through as the dam crumbles. In the late 1980s, uh, Greg Boyle was serving as a priest in a poor neighborhood in Los Angeles. 
the gang capital of the world. And he found that gang members were in places of complete social and economic hopelessness. And that hopelessness made it impossible for them to connect with the people who loved them or the God who was calling them to himself. So Father Greg started a business, another option other than to continue in gang life. Gang members could now uh, get a chance to have a job, make a living, maybe even buy a house and support a family. Hundreds of former gang members work at Homeboy Industries, and the services they offer, uh, like mental health counseling, job training, and tattoo removal are used by 10,000 people each year. Father Greg tells the story of driving to do uh, services at a local prison, and he took along Manuel, one of his employees. And while they're driving, Manuel gets a text, and he looks at it and chuckles. So Father Greg asked him, you know, what's that about? Manuel says, you know, it's from Snoopy, uh, the guy he works with back at the office at Homeboy Industries. And he reads the text, uh, hey dog, it's me, Snoops. They've got me locked up at county jail. Uh, they're charging me with being the ugliest guy in America. You've got to come down here and show them that they've got the wrong guy. <laughs> why, why am I telling you that story? Because Manuel and Snoopy are from rival gangs. Before God pulled them off the streets and gave them jobs at Homeboy Industries, they would shoot bullets at each other any chance they got. Now, they shoot text messages and laugh with each other. See, that's resurrection. It's a God who identifies himself by his relationships and who can bring those relationships back from the dead. In 1956, um, Jim Elliott and four other missionaries were killed in Ecuador by a tribe of natives that they were trying to reach. Elizabeth Elliott, his wife, continued their missionary work and soon brought their daughter Valerie to live with that same tribe. Here's what she writes. Nearly three years have passed since that Sunday afternoon. Today I sit in a tiny leaf-thatched hut on the Tuanu River. In another leaf house, just ten feet away, sit two of the seven men who killed my husband. Gakita, one of the men, has just helped Valerie, who is now three and a half, roast a plantain. How did this come to be? Only God who made iron swim, who caused the sun to stand still, in whose hand is the breath of every living thing, only this God, who is our God forever and ever, could have done it. This is resurrection. It is a God who will not accept broken relationships and whose power can do things we cannot even imagine. Brothers and sisters, when we talk about resurrection, we're usually wondering about what happens after we die. And that's not a bad question, but the answer is that we can't even imagine it. That's why scripture can only describe it in metaphors and illusions. It's so much more glorious that the most mundane things of heaven, paving stones, will be better than the most glorious things of this world, the gold. 
we can have full confidence that God will raise us to glorious new life in full relationship with him. But Easter is about more than what happens after we die. Easter is God's statement that resurrection has already begun. Don't give up hope for relationships that appear ruined. Don't stop praying for someone who has abandoned their faith. Don't think you've ever fallen beyond God's reach or that he no longer wants you. Remember the scriptures. God is the God of the living, and he won't let anything separate him from his people. And remember the power of God, that we can't even imagine the wonders that God has already started working on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to experience your resurrection. We want to experience that resurrection when we die so that we can be with you, see your face unveiled. But we also want to experience that resurrection now. We want you to bring us back from the dead. We want you to resurrect the relationship that we have with you and with each other. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.